But here's what I want to say that may trigger you. For every person who is a victim of a narcissist, who is hurt, that needs therapy, that needs coaching, that needs healing, because of all our trauma, I believe there is a narcissist or a human being with unhealthy narcissistic traits who also has trauma, who also is in trouble, who also is in pain and doesn't have a clue that they are doing what they're doing, right? To various different degrees. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, leader, lover, friend, master coach, and I spend every moment of my life helping people live kick-ass lives like today. No guests for you today, folks. Actually, some good news from November the 1st, I'm going to be, I'm going to see my son. I'm going to see my son, Jude, for the first time in nearly two years. He's coming over here, and we're going to spend some time together. And then from the 8th to the 18th, I'm off to Vegas, where I am going to be doing some work creating a documentary. I'm going to be producing a documentary, so really exciting stuff. Uh, and what that means is I'm a little bit pinched for time, so I'm not going to have any guests until the back end of November, early December. Okay, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, riff off a couple of monologues uh, to keep you entertained in the meantime. And today I'm going to talk about a subject called narcissism. If I could stop picking my nose and picking my eyes, my eye boogers and nose boogers, I'm going to talk about narcissism. And I want to start out by uh, saying that um, this episode could likely trigger a lot of you, okay? Because when it comes to the term narcissism, in society and culture, there comes a story already attached to it, right? There's already a story. There's a common story attached to it. It's like alcohol, right? If it comes to the story around alcohol, then the common theme, if we talk about alcohol, is that alcohol's normal, alcohol's pleasurable, uh, and the only people who have a problem with it are called alcoholics, right? That is a story that we all just inherit, and we take it as being true. And there similarly is one around narcissism, and that's what I want to talk about today. And there will be, who's going to be triggered by this episode? Anybody who is being harmed by a narcissist, prepare yourself, or currently are being harmed by a narcissist, uh, prepare yourself for being triggered. But I invite you to take it as an opportunity to ask yourself if you are, why? and what lesson there is in that for yourself, okay? So just keep an open mind and keep above the line in that state of presence and consciousness and just listen to what I have to say. Um, if you think that I'm full of shit and you want to correspond with me, then I'm open to that uh, as long as it is done in a healthy, respectful way, okay? So I'm going to talk about narcissism. And I want to I start out by talking about one of my earliest uh, members of our Strife family, uh, Susie Wong. If you're listening to this, Susie, I miss you. But Susie Wong was one of our earliest members of Stripe when we communicated via a platform called Discourse. So all of our interactions was by the written word, right? So we would basically use it as our journal and interact with each other. It was a beautiful place, beautiful home. We've since moved to video so now our family interacts via 
uh, Marco Polo. And there are some who still miss the old days of interacting by a written word, but we just can't get that part of our forum up and running again. But back in the day when Susie was uh, a real core member of Strive, uh, she posted an article, if I remember, around narcissism. Um, if I remember rightly, it was how she had been a victim of narcissism and how that had led to her drinking alcohol and and all the, the wounds that come with um, being on the victim end of narcissistic behavior, right? And I remember reading the article and thinking, oh shit, I tick most of these boxes. So, so it's like, am I a narcissist? And of course, as soon as I ask myself, am I a narcissist, a part of me, a part of my psyche immediately drags my entire mindset below the line into a state of drama. And I start to become very defensive. And the reason that this happened, and it happened very subconsciously and it happened very quickly, is because of that story I told you that comes attached with narcissism is if you're a man and you are called a narcissist, um, you are being the feedback you're given is that you are a very, very, very nasty piece of work, right? That you are, it's almost like the way that I see narcissists portrayed in the, in the coaching space, which, which worries me more than anything, which is why I want to do this video. It's almost like narcissists are, do you know when you watch like a James Bond movie or something and you get like this really fucking clever bad guy who just runs rings around the good guys and it's like it's like a chess game it's like pl planned out like like 57 moves ahead there is a portrayal in the media and i'm seeing it a lot in coaching circles that that's what narcissists are that they they're very consciously planning how to destroy someone's life uh bit by bit right and very subtly and because of that story when you pass the test that says whether you're a narcissist or not, you pass it as in, I am a narcissist. The last thing you want to do is hold your hands up and say, fuck, I'm a narcissist, right? Particularly if you're the leader of a group of people where of, of whom a large percentage will tell you that the reason that they're drinking is because um, they were victims of narcissistic behavior, right? So it's like, fuck, you know, like, I can't do this. So I remember getting into defensive mode and I remember upsetting Susie actually in my defensiveness of me not being a narcissist, but I didn't really give it any rational, logical, conscious thought at that time. I just literally uh, was like, no, I'm not a narcissist or maybe I was before in the past, but I'm not today type of behavior. Right. But I, I, it did come from the defensive mode and being detached from that stigma. And surely, 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 surely that's that low. Well, if we're talking about empathy, get into how you are stigmatized as being a non-drinker or you are stigmatized as being an alcoholic, or you are stigmatized as being a sufferer of mental health, right? being stigmatized as a junkie, being sex stigmatized as a sexually uh, a sexual deviant, um, being stigmatized as a narcissist. It's in the same group. You're being told that you are the lowest rung of society and nobody morally and ethically wants to be on that rung. And what happens is our fractured ego, those parts of us that don't want to be down there, they do whatever they can in their power to protect us and keep us safe. And in my instance, it was to do everything I could in my power to tell Susie Wong that I 
um, wasn't a narcissist, right? At the same time this is going on, I'm getting feedback from my wife, Liza, that I am hurting her, that I am gaslighting her. I think I told you this before. She Back in that day, she called me a pit bull. And again, like whenever these claims would come up, I would defend vigorously, right? Like, how dare you call me a pit bull? What's the matter with you thinking your husband's a pit bull? Which is like classic, you know, getting your shame. Your shame comes up and then wrapping it up in a grenade and throwing it straight back at them, right? It's it's, um, gaslighting. It's uh, narcissistic behavior. It's all those things, right? But I'm I'm not really piecing it together that I am anything other than very confused. Because here's a woman I really love. In my heart, I'm committed to being the best man that and husband I could be for her. But I'm hurting her and falling short all the time, and I don't want to. And to make it even worse, I'm doing coaching and training and reading and all this kind of stuff. And I'm still making the same mistakes. And this is happening at the same time that I've read this thing and I've started to, the cognitive dissonance around whether I'm a narcissist or not starting to wake up. I'm starting to have a conflict in my mind around, well, hang on a minute, maybe I am a narcissist, right? Um, Because I'm actually causing Liza a lot of pain. And part of the reason I'm causing her pain is because I'm ticking these boxes, okay? Now, the next stage of this journey is really important. I then undergo a massive amount of coaching. So I receive a massive amount of coaching, and I put in a lot of hours coaching other people over an 18-month period. Now, the reason this is really important is because it's very different to read articles about narcissism and read books about narcissism and go on narcissism courses and narcissism this and narcissism that and PhD this and therapy that. It's very different to get that knowledge and then to embody what it feels like to be a narcissist, right? Like to to accept and feel and own all parts of the emotional experience that are attached to that. And what I mean by that is, is when you're being coached and when you're coaching and you suddenly really, really grow aware, like, you know, there's this concept in the Strive Method we we use calling the line, and that we say that our job is um, is to always know whether we're above the line or below the line. Well, if we're above the line, we're in a state of where awareness and presence, love, joy, sobriety, open-mindedness, curiosity. We are self-led. When we're below the line, we are coming from a place of drama, closed-mindedness, judgmentalism, uh, blame, drunkenness, uh, aggressiveness, anger, gaslighting, being a narcissist, hurting people. We are parts-led. Our fractured ego, the parts of our ego that is fractured, are leading and making our decisions. When you can look at your actions and listen to the feedback of the consequences of your actions from above the line, from a place of open-mindedness, grace, empathy, compassion, curiosity. When you can do that, it hurts. It hurts to know that in your role as a man, if your job is to keep your wife safe from harm, and that actually when you look in the mirror, you realize that you are her main threat, that you 
cause her more harm than anyone else. That is really tough to take. It's really tough to take. And you can see when, when you feel it, when you feel like you've, you are courageous and vulnerable enough to own that shit, you can see quite clearly how your subconscious, your fractured ego will want to keep you safe from revealing that truth because it hurts so much, but you can handle it. And at the end of that hurt, it's a transformational experience within yourself and your relationships. It's pure healing, right? Like you, you suddenly can own it. Imagine walking up to someone you love, someone who you have driven to the asylum through craziness because you've always insisted that they were wrong, that they were crazy, that there's nothing wrong with you, that you do nothing wrong. And all of a sudden you tune up and you fess up and you're like, fuck, I made a mistake. I, I, have, I have done these things. You know, you watch the tears flow like a waterfall in that person suddenly be, being fully realized and witnessed and acknowledged that they're not crazy that actually you did harm them and you did hurt them and you did, did do these things. But here's the key thing, and this is why I wanted, to, I wanted to create this podcast, right, is I had no idea that I was doing these things. It's not like suddenly in my 40s I became a narcissist, and we'll touch upon this in a minute. It became clear to me that I had been a narcissist all my life but I wasn't aware that I was. I wasn't aware of when the narcissistic tendencies or the unhealthy narcissistic tendencies would shine. And I was unaware of the relationship between my behavior and the consequences and the hurt that I was causing other people and my defense mechanisms within the parts of me who were trying to keep me safe by deflecting and blaming and passing shame bombs to other people and judging and gaslighting and all the things that you'll see in articles about narcissists, that behavior, that narcissistic behavior that damages people so much, that is the part of my psyche trying to keep me safe because it doesn't. they don't want me to witness the truth that I am these things because that is too painful an admission, right? So for me, going through that coaching was really pivotal, but it is also incredibly pivotal pivotal to me. And this is a bit that is going to really trigger a lot of you. But again, I really want you to just reflect on this and just know that what I'm about to say comes from a beautiful place of trying to do good in the world and not, I'm above the line here. I'm in consciousness and presence right now. I don't want to blame and judge or defend, right? But here's what I want to say that may trigger you. For every person who is a victim of a narcissist, who is hurt, that needs therapy, that needs coaching, that needs healing because of all that trauma, I believe there is a narcissist or a human being with unhealthy narcissistic traits who also has trauma, who also is in trouble, who also is in pain and doesn't have a clue that they are doing what they're doing, right? To various different degrees. Okay, very in different degrees. I'm not saying there are not narcissists out there who know they're narcissists, who know they were really hurting people and are quite happy with that. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that, right? But I'm saying there will be a large, large group of people, mainly men, right? Mainly men 
who will be fighting for their lives to not admit they're a narcissist because to do so the way that we portray a narcissist in society is just too damaging for them. Like if you're a human, if you're a man and your sole focus in life is to fall in love with another man or fall in love with another woman and have a family, but you're a narcissist, the likelihood of that happening just falls dramatically. Like who would want to be in a relationship with someone like that, right? If the label and the archetype of a narcissist is the one that's painted by the current coaching picture, right? Because there are a lot of coaching coaches and a lot of coaching communities and, and courses that are now coming up to help victims of narcissism. And I celebrate that. I think that is amazing. But to turn the narcissist into this supervillain, right, and shame them even more, the only output that that is going to create is that all the narcissists who really need help are just going to go into their shell and the cognitive dissonance is going to silence and they, they're going to deny that they're narcissists because the place doesn't feel safe enough for them to say, I am a narcissist. So that's why I'm doing this podcast, right? I Lee Davy, okay? I'm non-alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I am an amazing father, husband, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I'm a narcissist. I am a narcissist. And there are times today when I slip into unhealthy narcissism and I hurt people. I am. And if you're also like that, I hope in me admitting that, that it helps you to also admit it. And if you feel alone, then reach out to me and connect with me. And there'll be two of us that can talk about the shame. It feels how it feels to know that you are the person who is destroying your own wives and children's lives, right? Like the weight of that admission is heavy, right? And I am not discounting and dis disregarding the pain, okay, that is being suffered by the victims of that behavior. I'm not, but this is not what this conversation's about. There's enough conversations about that. This is about the conversation around the narcissist, okay? Now, you've heard me talk about, I've been a narcissist all my life. I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, yesterday, Liza said to me, is my dad a narcissist? And I said, well, I think everybody's a narcissist. I think you're a narcissist. I think I am. So I think the answer is yes. So where do I come to this idea that we're all narcissists? Couple of reasons, couple of ways. One, my own intuition. Do you ever get that feeling where you know in your heart of hearts that the, the way that you're behaving, as horrific as it is, is normal? Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like, hang on a minute? I know that this is abhorrent. I know that this is morally and ethically wrong in terms of the way that culture and society dictates how we should live life, but it feels normal for me to behave in this way, right? Okay, so there's that. There's that self-assessment, okay? And then there's learning and education. I want to read to you a couple of things that uh, led to me with this, to this formulation, formulation of, well, we're all narcissists and why adopting that uh, viewpoint is healthier than to uh, create a divide and make the narcissist the enemy, right? So this first book I want to talk about is Healing the Shame That Binds You by John Bradshaw. And in that book, he quotes Alice Miller, 
um, in the drama of the gifted child. Okay, so I'm just going to read here in the section, and this is really important in the section around toxic shame. Here is John Bradshaw talking about emotional abandonment. So when we as children have been emotionally abandoned by our parents and deprived narcissism, okay? And this is uh, the words of John Bradshaw. Children need mirroring and echoing. These come from their primary caretaker's eyes. Mirroring means that someone is there for them and reflects, remember, narcissist looking at his reflection, is there for them and reflects who they really are at any given moment of time. Children need mirroring and echoing. These come from their primary caretaker's eyes. Mirroring means that someone is there for them and reflects who they really are at any given moment of time. In the first three years of our life, each of us needed, needed to be admired and taken seriously. We needed to be accepted for the very one we are. Getting these mirroring needs is what Alice Miller calls our basic narcissistic supplies. So Miller and Bradshaw here in their professional opinion are saying that every human being um, has a basic set of narcissistic supplies, that, that having this basic set of narcissistic supplies and how it shows up is really important for every human being. So that leads me to the belief from my paradigm that we all need an element of narcissism less toxic and more healthy, but is there inherent in us, right? Bradshaw continues, these supplies result from good mirroring by a parent with good boundaries. When this is the case, the following dynamics take place. The child's aggressive impulses can be neutralized because they do not threaten the parent. The child striving for autonomy is not experienced as a threat to the parent. The child is allowed to experience and express ordinary impulses such as jealousy, rage, sexuality, defiance, because the parents have not disowned these feelings in themselves. The child does not have to please the parent and can develop his own needs at his own developmental pace. The child can depend on and use his parents because they are separate from him. The parent's independence and good boundaries allow the child to separate self and object representation. Because the child is allowing to display ambivalent feelings, he can learn to regard himself and the caregiver as both good and bad, rather than splitting off certain parts as good and splitting them from bad. And the beginning of true object love is possible because the parents love the child as a separate object. Those eight instances there came from the drama of the gifted child. Bradshaw says, what happens if the parents are shame-based and needy? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us, listen to this, had parents that were shame-based and needy? How many of us had parents who parented us in a way that made sure that we had our deprived narcissism, we had our basic narcissistic supplies met? I would argue that not a lot of us did. If you're in your 30s and 40s, I would argue and onwards, that we did not receive the basic narcissistic supplies that we met. And as we grew up, a lot of us went outside of ourselves to get those narcissistic supplies met. What happens is they are unable to take over the mirroring narcissistic function for the child, says Bradshaw. Furthermore, the fact that parents are shame-based is a clear signal that they never got their own narcissistic supplies met. Well, should we blame them? Should we shame them? Should we abuse them? 
or should we understand and have empathy and compassion with them? Such parents are adult children who are still in search of a parent or an object who will be totally available to them. For such parents, the most appropriate objects of narcissistic gratification are their own children. Alice Miller writes, A newborn baby is completely dependent on his parents, and since their caring is essential for this existence, he does all he can to avoid losing them. From the very first day onward, he will muster all of his resources to this end, like a small plant that turns towards the sun in order to survive, right? So, yeah, just to repeat, when I read that, I realized that my parents did not provide me with my basic narcissistic supplies. They did not reflect back the admiration that I needed in that moment as a young child. And as a result of that, I did not mature into a child and an adult who was playing the inside out game. I did not mature with somebody who had a fully locked and loaded uh, vault spilling out of self-esteem. And instead, I can see my pattern and how I went outside of myself to get that esteem met and how that melded into me uh, bleeding and leaching into uh, unhealthy narcissistic behavior. Now, there's another reference that I want to draw to here, and this is The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Um, and chapter two is transform self-love into empathy, the law of narcissism. And he says, we all naturally possess the most remarkable tool for connecting to people and attaining social power. And this is called empathy. When cultivated and properly used, it can allow us to see into the moods and minds of others, giving us the power to anticipate people's actions and gently lower their resistance. This instrument, however, is blunted by our habitual self-absorption. We are all narcissists. We are all narcissists, some deeper on the spectrum than others. Our mission in life is to come to terms with this self-love and learn how to turn our sensitivity outward towards others instead of inward. We must recognize at the same time the toxic narcissists among us before getting enmeshed in their dramas and poisoned by their envy. From the moment we are born, we humans feel a never-ending need for attention. Think about that. We must recognize at the same time the toxic narcissists amongst us before getting enmeshed in their drama and poisoned by their envy. So it's really important to recognize who has toxic narcissism so we can create those boundaries and we are not enmeshed into them. But does it help us to villainize them? Because the way that I feel intuitively and the way that I've been taught is that if I villainize a narcissist for the way that they have treated me, I am making myself a victim. Ergo, I'm in the drama triangle. I'm choosing to be in a state of victim consciousness. Now, there are many ways that we can switch that and get above the line into presence and consciousness. But one of them, as Green says, is empathy. How about we look at the individual who is displaying the toxic narcissistic energy? We create the boundaries to protect ourselves. We may even, you know, divorce them or chuck them out of the relationship, whatever that, it, that needs, right? We create those boundaries. But at the same time, we don't villainize them. We look at them through the eyes of compassion and empathy. If we look at the work of Dr. Richard Schwartz, and please listen to the podcast I did two weeks ago on internal family systems. Dr. Richard Schwartz says that we 
as a human being, as a human race, each individual has a self, the most beautiful essence of ourself, call it soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that part of you that you know is you, right? Like it, it's like the essence, the clear, focused, the part of you that gets into a state of flow that can communicate with empathy and compassion. When you're above the line, you are self. But there are also numerous parts that operate in trauma. These are the fractured ego, right? And if we can understand that within every single one of us, often we are part-led and not self-led, but that part is leading us in what that part perceives is to a place of safety, that there are no bad parts, that every part is just trying to protect us, then we can look at the person that we've labeled narcissist and we can see that he's actually, his parts are displaying toxic narcissistic energy and actions because they want to keep him safe. And this is the only way they know how to. If we can take that stand, then we can heal ourselves as quote-unquote victims of narcissism, but we can also help heal the narcissist. And isn't that what it's all about? If I, When I see someone on Instagram do a, an Instagram reel where they are pointing out how horrific a narcissist is, it makes me want to fucking hide. It makes me want to run away and to hide the fact that I have a problem. I don't think that's healthy. So I'm urging coaches who are working in this space to just recognize that if your meaning and purpose in life is to help human beings, and the way that you're choosing to do that is by helping those who have received trauma through narcissistic behavior, then just be aware that potentially you could be exacerbating the situation by putting a Band-Aid over it. Because if we focused on healing the narcissist, surely that is the right approach. Because if we heal the narcissist, we not only heal the we only not only heal the narcissist, but we have no more victims. But if we just focus on the victims, then victim A leaves narcissist A. Narcissist A is just shamed into hiding the fact he's a narcissist. He then goes and gets uh, another victim B, and then victim B is then harmed as well. Now, I know I'm in my head here, very rationally, logically thinking this through, but the times I spent sitting with this in my heart, it just, for me, the fact, my paradigm that I've created, helped by people like Miller, Bradshaw, and Green, that we're all narcissists on a spectrum, and that we lean towards being toxic narcissists, is because a part of us is trying to keep us safe then we can talk to that part and figure out what on earth is going on. But we're not going to be able to do that unless people like me talk about things like this, knowing that they're going to alienate some of their audience because it goes against the grain. It goes against what we're supposed to talk about. You know, By the way, Green talks about four different types of narcissists on that spectrum. The, the uh, complete control narcissist, the theatrical narcissist, the narcissistic couple, and the healthy narcissist. And I really suggest you read The Laws of Human Nature. It's a great book, right? So that's it, really. I just wanted to get the other side of that out there and 
make you an offer. If you are thinking because you've read articles and you've had feedback off your partner that you are a narcissist, that you are, well, when I say you're a narcissist, you're a narcissist in the way that the world has portrayed you in that archetype. If you think that's you and you want to do something about it, then come work with me because I am somebody who spend a lot of time in that unhealthy, complete control and theatrical style of narcissism. And I am, I would say, healed and occasionally a part will emerge and will slip into that behavior and I recognize it and I have a conversation with it and I witness it. And um, we always end up with a part feeling loved and seen and self taken over, right? If you want that help, give me a shout, okay? And uh, we can work on that. I have one space left in October for personal coaching. Um, I'm also going to be doing coaching in November, uh, but we won't be able to start until the 19th of November because I'll be in Vegas. If you are the victim or have been the victim of narcissism and you want to work on this in a different way, you want to work on your healing, but with the view that the person perpetrating uh, this behavior is also suffering and is also got a major problem. And just to be aware of that, and you feel it would be beneficial and healthy for you, and a challenge maybe for you to do this work with somebody who may trigger you because um, I have that tendency, then I'm there for you to, to give it a go. I have had clients in the past who have had real difficult troubles with their narcissistic partners and I've triggered them and they've decided to, to end that relationship. You know, I actually think it's a beautiful opportunity to be like, okay, this guy's triggering the fuck out of me right now. Why? Why did God, universe, source, why did I put this guy in my life right now to trigger me in this topic, in this instance? Why? What am I going to, did I just do it so I could run away from him? Or did I bring him here to learn from him? The fact that I'm triggering me means he's pushing me to my edge. Should I stop or should I continue? Whenever I've been in coaching containers and I've been absolutely triggered to the extreme, it's when I have found my greatest breakthroughs. So if you want to work with me in that score, in that dimension, give me a shout as well. Okay. Just uh, go to www.1000daysober.com, check out the coaching page, and then book a call or just email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com or WhatsApp me on plus one, 213 219 Okay. All right. Much love, everybody. Take care of yourself. If you have a problem with alcohol and you want it out of your life, and more importantly, you want to grow in all areas of your life once you're free from it, then please, 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 pretty please, with sprinkles on top, consider joining Strive. It is a monthly Strive, monthly subscription service. It is $99 a month. And in that package, you will receive access to our coveted Strive method, over 120 coaching videos, where the graduation rate so the people who graduate, 62% of them are still not drinking after a year. 
Okay, um, so world-class content there. You will also get access to our online meetings. We have meetings on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on Zoom. And we have once a month a Strive Live event from myself where I teach a concept from Strive, absolutely um, life, <laughs> you know. And you will also get access to our Marco Polo family groups, our video chat groups. We have a main group, we have uh, women-only groups, we have men-only groups, and we have smaller trio groups where you will be working with two or three people in that group, okay? So um, get over to uh, 1000 Days Sober if you're interested in that. If you also want those who love you, your wives, your husbands, your moms, your dads, your siblings, your employees, to understand what you're going through if you join Strive Method, and pay that subscription, then we have Strive Support. And Strive Support is where um, for 50 bucks a month, your significant other can have access to their support community on Marco Polo and access to a separate version of the Strive method. So they don't get to see your homework assignments, but they can do your assignments so they can understand what you're going through. Okay, so Strive Method and Strive Subscription are family and or strive support okay give me an email at 1kdaysober at gmail.com or get over to www1000daysober.com to find out more much love everyone mm -hmm.